He is mighty to save. He is the only one who can. So if you have your copy of God's Word, I would love for you to turn to the book of Titus, chapter 3. We are going to be going through the first eight verses of this chapter. We're going to learn about being saved from sin to live better. That's the whole point. To be redeemed from sin is God's call to live better, to live for him. And Paul makes this very clear to the church on, churches on Crete and to his preacher there and elder there, Titus. So, All right, follow along as I read verses 1 through 8 of Titus chapter 3. Remind them to submit to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to slander no one, to avoid fighting, and to be kind, always showing gentleness to all people. For we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, Enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy. Through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, he poured out his Spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. These are good and profitable for everyone. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you for the truth of it. I thank you for what it speaks to us as believers in Christ and reminds us how we were saved. Help us, Father, to do that this morning, to search our hearts and to let this message and these words speak to our hearts for our change, for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In the first three verses of the letter to Titus, Paul makes it pretty clear the purpose he's writing for. Listen to this again. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by God's will, for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus. Sorry, wrong chapter one. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life, that God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. In his own time, he has revealed his word in the preaching with which I was entrusted by the command of God, our Savior. Paul says the point of this letter is to help lead believers to godliness, to godliness, to holiness, to purity, to righteous living. You know, the Cretans, we found out in, in chapter 1, verse 12, the Cretans, 
the people who inhabited the island of Crete, were known for being lazy, greedy, gluttonous, and evil, and just not good people. They lied, they deceived, but now some of them are saved, okay? Some of them, like us, got saved, and boy, they had to change a lot. They had to work on their lifestyle, their, their habits, their, their thoughts. So Paul's kind of getting them corrected here, and that's what he's given to them, and that's what we're, we need as well. We need to be living differently as well. So Paul reminds the church how to live among unbelievers, which is always a hard thing to do, but it, we live that way by reflecting on, their, on our former lives and the change that God brought in us. That's, that's how we keep going. We know that we don't have to be like them. So that's what Paul's telling the, the Titus and the Cretans. And this morning, I want us to get out of this, that God saves souls to live in obedience to him. That may be an astounding fact to some people. And I know a lot of people out there just think, oh, I just got saved, I'm good. But God saves souls to live in obedience to him so the world will hear the good news and be transformed by it as well. That's the whole point. So what does a changed life look like and how can it impact the world? Well, that's what Paul's going to tell us here in this passage. Paul wants us to know the change that was needed. He wants us to know the cause of the change and he wants us to know the conclusion of that change. That's what we're going to be looking at. So point number one, verses one through three, the change that was needed. I want you to see this list here of the things that needed to be changed and the different ways we need to live. Let me read this again to you. Paul tells Titus, remind them, always an important thing for believers, remind them to submit to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to slander no one, to avoid fighting, and to be kind, always showing gentleness to all people. For we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. So first, Paul wants to remind them of the way that they should be living right now, the way they should be acting, the way they should be interacting with the world because of what they believed in Jesus Christ, because they have been changed by the power of God. And this, this list really isn't vastly different than what he's already told us to do in Titus, okay? We've gone through several lists in Titus of how to behave, how we are supposed to be different. So this list isn't vastly different from all the others, but we find here our need to be reminded, okay? We don't remember this stuff. Some of us forget it before we walk out the door. I do sometimes. We forget this. That's why we need to be constantly reminded by sermons, by reading our own Bible, by prayer. So Paul says, remind them. Remind them. First of all, submit to governing and ruling and persons of authority. As long as it doesn't violate God's word. Submit to them. Submit to the authorities. I know that sounds pretty hard, but realize he's writing in the time of the Roman Empire and some of the worst emperors of, of that empire at that time. Submit to them. And then obey them, since they are under God's sovereignty. See, if you obey them, you're obeying God, because God's already got them in, in that place, and you're obeying him too. He says, be quick to take up good works. Be ready, be quick, be on your, on your, on your mark kind of thing deeds and acts of goodness to others be quick to do that whether they're believers or not i mean that's the whole point of the, the the parable of the good samaritan is a lot of people just walked by and didn't do a good work for that poor guy don't speak ill of others 
but only of their behaviors as necessary to warn and guard others. So we, we sometimes we just we, we see someone misbehaving and we start running down their character and we start running down their person and their family and their genealogy and their, the, the color of their car. I mean, we just get all crazy with our slander. Don't speak ill of others, but only of their behaviors as just their behaviors so that we can protect ourselves and protect others and maybe correct them. Who knows? Avoid conflict on trivial matters. That's, <clears throat> that's really what he's talking about. Avoid the fighting. <clears throat> Avoid conflict on trivial matters. Seek peace. Even with unbelievers, we need to seek peace. Sometimes we may not get it, but we need to be trying. He says to stand up for truth, but innocently, not with fists, okay? Not, not violently or, or offending the persons. <clears throat> we, can only, we need to really only speak against their beliefs, not necessarily the person. And that's exactly what Paul's telling us here. Kindness. Kindness in all of our attitudes with other people. Kindness is kind of the, the character trait we carry with us at all times. And then be gentle. Well, that's hard sometimes, I know. Be gentle. Be, because if you're kind, it's easier to be gentle. If you're, if you're not kind, it's probably <clears throat> almost impossible to be gentle. Don't let their bad attitudes influence your attitude. That's, that's kind of where Paul's getting at here. Don't let their, their bad attitudes breed bad behavior in you. I mean, that happens. That happens all the time. You know, we think because they're being nasty to us, we have to be nasty back. You know, that will never benefit anyone, ever. It won't. It just turns into a heated discussion. Relationships get torn apart, and you never get a chance to speak to them about the gospel of Jesus Christ, maybe, anymore. These are attributes in verses 1 and 2. These are attributes of a believer and a, that a believer is expected to express in their life when we've been changed by Jesus Christ. It's our day-to-day attitudes. Because we've got to remember we've been changed. And that's what Paul's reminding these believers in Crete. They've been changed by the gospel. Why do we have to have these attributes? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because verse 3 gives us the answer. It's a, it's a great segue. We once were completely opposite of these attributes that he's telling us to have. We were once opposite them. We were once behaving completely opposite of them. Look at verse 3 again. He says, for we too were once, and he lists that nasty list there. See, we need to remember sometimes we were just as bad as the people we're having conflict with. We were just as bad off as they are who don't believe in Jesus Christ. Foolish. You know what foolish is? It's just disregarding truth. Disregarding truth, respect, dignity. <clears throat> disregarding self-control and self-discipline. Disregarding advice. Disregarding help. Even disregarding knowledge. We've seen fools. We've been the fool. Disobedient to God, to authorities, to parents, and anybody else that challenges our autonomy. That's what we were before. Deceived by the lies of Satan and the culture around us. Deceived to the point of following them right on into bondage to something. Which leads to the next thing. Enslaving themselves to passions and pleasures. Comforts and conveniences and selfishness. That's where, that's where we all were. We were all enslaved to that. We were foolish. We were disobedient. We were deceived. We were enslaved. And these kind of things lead to what he talks about next. Hatred. Malice, envy, detesting other things and other people. Have you ever noticed how 
angry and mad and hateful sinners are, unbelievers are. I mean, it's, it's, it's the case. Of these things just kind of pile on and they're just mad at the world. They hate everybody. People who have no love or compassion in their lives, they kind of seem to always exist in a state of hatefulness. A hatefulness against all, a lot of times. Even sometimes their own crowd and their own tribe that they're connected to. <clears throat> so you see why a change was needed? We were like this in verse 3. We were like this, and we've been changed to verses 1 and 2. And Paul points this out very vividly right there. For the church to know and be reminded. Which means for us to know and be reminded. Because we need to remember these things. I want to review how bad we were. Turn over to Romans 1. Paul says we were bad in, in one verse. In Romans 1, chapter 1, 28 through 32, verses 28 through 32, he gives five verses to how bad we were. And I know this is painful. This is painful. But if you, if you have your Bible, turn over to Romans chapter 1, verses 28 through 32. Paul is writing to a church in Rome, a church that's surrounded by the world, surrounded by people behaving this way, these ways that Paul just described Here's what he says in verse 28 of Romans chapter 1. And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they would do not, not so, that, so that they do what is not right. They are, listen to this, they are filled with unrighteousness, all unrighteousness. They are filled with evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Although they know God's just sentence that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. We were all like that. Now, maybe as a young child, you weren't quite that bad, but those of us who were saved later in life, we were this bad. We may not have murdered anybody, but we probably thought about it. Or so mad at Adam that we, we got mad, and like Jesus said, that is murder. You see how much of a change of heart was needed? In the, for the last four weeks... <laughs> This is, here's my illustration for you today. For the last four weeks, I have battled with a stopped-up kitchen sink. Not just the sink, the whole pipe. The 40-foot of pipe that runs from, one, from our kitchen sink to the, to the sewer stack in the basement. I have fought with it. I've had four different guys out there fighting with it. It stopped up. <laughs> four times we thought it, the pipe was clean. Water was running out of it, but not even 12 hours later, it was filling up again. The final solution, though, new pipe. We need a new pipe. 40 feet of it, but we need a new pipe. So that's the only way we're going to get rid of this clog. I don't know how it got there. The house is 27 years old. There needs to be a change, not just pouring water and Drano and liquid plumber and Everything else you could put down there. You know, our heart is just like that before Jesus. It needs a new heart. No matter how much cleaning you do, no matter how much you clean up your act, no matter how straight and narrow you think you're walking, 
you still need a new heart. God says in Ezekiel 36, 26, I will give you a new heart. Boy, that's a good promise. It costs you nothing. God's going to give it to you. He's going to give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you. I will give you a new heart. Have you had that change? Have you gotten a new heart from God? Has God given you a new heart to live righteously for him? See the contrasting behaviors in these verses in Titus? There are, there are it's, it's really obvi- obvious and amazing how pa- Paul wrote this. There are seven traits in verses 1 and 2 that are meant to oppose the seven traits in verse 3. There's seven and seven. Seven's a, a complete number, by the way. Um, we're supposed to be living differently. We're supposed to counteract all of verse 3 with verses 1 and 2. So if you're saved and believing in Jesus, you should be striving for verses 1 and 2 here. And that will root out verse 3 of your life. Amen? It will. No, don't go away from here thinking. Pastor said we have to do stuff to be saved. I'm not saying that at all. No, these do not save you. These are the fruits of your salvation. These actions in verses 1 and 2, they are the fruits of your salvation. The new heart God gives you lives differently. And that's what it acts like. And that's what it looks like. So we need to meditate on these things. I know some people are scared of that word, but we need to meditate. That just means think a lot. Think a lot on these things. Being submissive. Being obedient. Being ready to do good. Being pleasant with speech. Peaceable. Kind. Gentle to everyone. See, the church of Jesus, they live like this, or at least we're supposed to. The church of Jesus lives these in front of the world's watching eyes. And if you are like me, you know plenty of people have stories about how a church hurt them. It wasn't Jesus that hurt them, it was the church. And we need to live better. We need to quit acting like the world and act like Jesus. You ever wonder what turn the other cheek actually means? It means turn the other cheek. If someone hits you, Jesus said it plain as day. We want to sometimes go, yeah, but did he really mean it literally? If someone hits me in the face, do I turn him the other one? I did that in second grade one time. Preacher preached on it on Sunday and I turned my cheek and the guy thought I was weird. It was three slaps later, but he thought I was weird. Do not give evil back for evil. That's a major difference in our world. Retaliation, revenge, revenge, all of that's the world's way of doing things. Turning the other cheek just means I am not going to take revenge. I'm not going to bring evil for evil. I want to bring love instead. We don't need to be a yeah, but Christian to God's commands. Yeah, but this and yeah, but that. When when Jesus says it in the words plain and clear in the Bible, we need to do it. Love your enemies. Yeah, but you don't know my enemies, God. Oh, yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. So don't let the world control your reactions to things. I mean, that's, that's what it takes. This is what, this is what the change by Jesus Christ, the new heart, does for us. We can be better. So that's the change that was needed. The change was needed, and it changed, and it came. So here is what happens to change a soul, verses 4 through 7. This is the cause of the change. Listen to this again. <clears throat> but... When the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. 
not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, he poured out his spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. Wow, that's magnificent. I love these, these passages in the scriptures that say, but God, but God, and I like to say showed up, but God showed up. Never forget that you are where you are as a believer in Christ because God showed up. He, there was a but God moment in your life. At least I hope so. See, God alone changes the heart. He gives that new creation to you, in you. So Paul's explaining the cause of that change. First of all, God's kindness and love for humanity showed up as our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, Prince of Peace, Wonderful Counselor. He came and he died for our sins. That is the love and kindness of God Almighty. That is how we are saved. Only faith in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection will save your soul. Believing that it happened. Believing that it happened for your sin. Not everybody else is just yours. That's all you have to worry about. He came and died for That is the love and kindness of God that appeared. So, so nothing good or great or grand that you do matters before Christ. Your holy works can't save your soul. I don't care how much money you give to a charitable organization. I don't care how many times you come to church. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can change your heart and save you. Paul's making that clear, crystal clear here. Mercy, God's mercy. You know what mercy is? It's not receiving something you deserve. We all deserve death. But God's mercy, the choice of God not to hold them guilty, but to forgive them by Jesus Christ. That's what we have in him. God washes the person by regenerating their soul, their heart. The new heart I talked about earlier, it's done by regeneration. You know what regeneration is? Recreating. It just means created again. I looked it up in two or three dictionaries. Make sure I was right. You and they, the Cretans, did nothing. Nothing to save their soul. It is all of God. It literally, that is what happens to a soul when God saves it. He changes the heart. He regenerates it. He makes it new. He does it, no one else. You can't do it. Then he renews the mind and the soul with the Holy Spirit, which we live in and enjoy right now. The Spirit fills us with a new understanding. I said this last week. You don't really, can, can't really fully understand God's Word until you're saved, born again, and the Spirit is in you. The Spirit fills us with a new understanding. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says it real plainly. The man without the Spirit does not receive the things that come from the Spirit of God because they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. It's so funny to watch someone that's not a believer become a believer that have been reading, maybe reading the Bible a little bit, and then they go, oh, it's like a gigantic light bulb goes off over their head. We now know because of the Spirit. God doesn't just give us a portion of the Spirit either. He pours it out on us. That, that word is used intentionally in the, Old, in the New Testament, coming from the Old Testament in Joel chapter 2. He pours it on you, like just completely immerses you in it. Abundantly, Paul says, you have the whole Holy Spirit in your soul. 
Abundantly, God gives his spirit to the believer by his son, Jesus. Because you know what? Jesus sent the spirit. That's why he went back. He told his disciples in John 14, I go back so I can send the helper, the counselor, the Holy Spirit to you. If I don't go back, he doesn't come. And we need him. Boy, do we need him. It was promised by Jesus and Jesus delivered. Now, here's the best part of the gift we get to these, in, in these verses. Here's the best part. Verse 7. Because God justifies, because he makes our soul right with him by grace, the believer is now a child of God. See, that's one of those weird things that's kind of happened in the culture. Is like, you know, everybody thinks because you were born and you're alive, you're a child of God. You're a creation of God, but you are not a child of God. We've, we've shortchanged that, you know. We, we really need to remember that a child of God is only someone who has trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. He has made you a child of God. He has made you an heir of God. We don't, we've never seen the ends of the universe. No matter how powerful the telescopes are, no matter how far, they've never seen the ends of our universe, ever. What they've seen is so far away, you can never get there in a million lifetimes. But we've never seen the end of it. You've inherited all of that and more. That's what we should remember sometimes when we're, we're down on our luck or we're feeling bad about our positions. We are now a child, an heir. Grace, by grace, and I've said this before, grace, it's gaining what you didn't deserve. It's getting something you could never earn or deserve. That's what grace really is. And that's what you've got in Jesus Christ. And those who trust Jesus, they become co-heirs with him, brothers and with him, siblings with him, and the hope of eternal life. And that hope is not just a guess. It's not just wishing. It is a firm, definite hope, a hope that you already know is going to happen. That's what kind of hope Paul's talking about there. God causes these wonderful changes to the heart, which makes it possible to live differently. That's what happens when we get saved. There's another great but God passage I love over in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. Listen to this but God passage. It actually starts out but God. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens of, in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. That doesn't get you excited. We need to talk. That's, but God, but God did it. He didn't have to do it. He wanted to do it. He chose to do it because of love. Wow, look what he's done for us. And just like that pipe in my connected to my kitchen sinks needs changing, I need someone to do it. We need someone to change our hearts. I need someone to come change that pipe. I need some, God had to come change our hearts. God causes the change in your hearts or it is not a real change. We need to realize that in this day of people pretending to be Christians and thinking they're Christians, we need to know that God has to do the changing. The truth right here separates Christianity from every other religion. This truth of what he's talking about here in verses 4 through 7. All other religions, 
do not compare to Christianity. Because it's the love, love from God, love from the God of all creation. That is the major difference. There is no love in any other religion. None. See, God loved us so much that he chose to graciously and unconditionally give us a solution for our sin. He didn't say, you need to go do this to be saved. You need to go do this to be righteous. He gave us the solution. His one and only son. By grace, God sent Jesus to live, to die, to be buried, to rise, and to ascend back to heaven for our sins. See, God reached down to us. That's the difference in Christianity and other religions. Our forgiveness comes by God and no other way but through Jesus Christ. And it's all because of love and kindness. That's the major difference, which is why we got to live differently. we got to show the world love and kindness so that they know we're living our life based off of that. We're, we're changed by that. See, what religion relies on, other religions, all the religions, because I don't like even calling Christianity religion, but religion relies totally on what we can do to make our souls pure for a God. A God. And in the Hindu case, 330 million plus of them. See, that's man reaching up for God. That's why it's religion. What are you going to do for me is the way they approach God. What are we doing for God? There is no love and there is no grace in that kind of religion at all. Every religion is based on actions. It's based on deeds. It's based on us doing something to make our souls right. To claim righteousness from a false God. See, that's what they do. Even atheism is the same thing. You know what atheism is? You know who the God is? You. That's who you're making God when you're an atheist, when you claim to be an atheist. Even atheism seeks to please a false God themselves. It's still a religion. But God, <laughs> but God gives forgiveness out of love, by grace, through faith in Jesus. We had nothing to do with it. I know that makes you some of you uncomfortable. Some of you are like, what about obedience? Well, that's the product of him changing your heart. That doesn't change your heart. That's the proof. Because some of us want a proof. We want proof that, that Jesus is real. We want proof or a sign or some other feel-good expression to show up and convince us that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. We want that to happen. But Jesus said clearly when he was here, Signs won't save you. Miracles won't save you. Someone rising from the dead will not save you. It's only by faith in me. That's it. That's all. And that's enough. So do you trust him? I mean, that's what it comes down to. You trust him? Do you want to know for sure you have eternal life that Paul talks about here? Do you trust him for that? You can. Just believe in Jesus right now. Just believe that his death, burial, and resurrection saves your soul. And the change that was needed is only caused by the blood of Jesus. That's what, that's what we know now. That's the cause of our change. He is mighty to save. So once we've been changed by God's love and grace, God expects us to live for him. And that is the conclusion of the passage. The conclusion is promoted. Verse 8. Here's, here's what Paul says to them. This saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. 
These are good and profitable for everyone. What saying is trustworthy? He says, he's, he's used this phrase a lot in 1 Timothy as well as in Titus. This saying is trustworthy. What is he talking about? Well, I think it starts with verses 4 through 7 we just got through talking about. But it could be expanded to verses 1 through 7 of chapter 3. Or it could be expanded to chapter 2, verse 1, all the way to chapter 3, verse 7. But I believe Paul is emphasizing specifically the manner by which a soul is saved. And that's verses 4 through 7. That it's God and God alone, by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. That's God's gospel of grace that came by the sacrifice of Jesus. And we need to trust it. We need to trust it. And so Titus is told, you must teach confidently. That's what that word insist in the Greek really means. Teach confidently. Insist stringently. Impress on them strongly. These are the truths of God. Tell them that. Make it clear. Help these Cretans stop living like Cretans and live like believers. Why does that need to happen? Well, I'm glad you asked. Paul says, so that, so that the believers, the believers, the ones who have trusted God's son for eternity can, with care and diligence, devote their lives to do good works for the kingdom of God. That's what we're called to do. You have a job after you become a believer, and that is to do good works for the kingdom of God. Carefully, intently, deliberately, good actions according to God's truth, his priorities, his passions, not your own ideas, but what God says is important. These truths lived out will bring good and profit for everyone in the church and even outside the church. It's amazing how the goodness of God will spill out of us and our, our, our group to the community. The change in the heart caused by the grace of God must, by necessity, it must, produce righteous acts. If anybody is struggling in their faith in Jesus Christ, if they're struggling walking with Christ, maybe it's because you're just not working for Christ. You're not looking for a way. Sometimes we, we need to remember the saying from uh, Bishop J.C. Ryle. He says, sin forsaken is one of the best evidences of sin forgiven. See, we've just not gotten rid of the junk in our life. We've, we've, we, we haven't forsaken the sin. We've just asked for forgiveness. But when we start forsaking it, when we start changing, when we start acting differently, that's how a church of believers lives better. This is how the gospel goes out to all the world, through that. Paul instructs the Philippians similarly in Philippians chapter 2. He tells them very plainly that they need to be busy. But he also gives them a little help. He says in Philippians chapter 2 verses 12 and 13, he says, Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence but even more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out my salvation. I thought you did it. Verse 13, for it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. See, it's God, but we've got a part to play. We need to be turning our lives around. We need to be committing to him. Our salvation work is fully supported by God and living in faith and truth is God's way. That's what he's called us to do. And once this new pipe is put into my kitchen sink, I'm gonna be responsible for keeping it clean cleaned out don't put gunk down there i don't think that's what caused it it's just years of buildup but our salvation is fully supported 
And God saves and he sustains us as we strive to live out our faith. That's all my point is, is that we're, we need to strive in this evil world to live for Christ. And guess what? Jesus shows up. The Holy Spirit shows up in a powerful way. When you make a decision to obey and when you make a decision to turn away from a certain sin or, or stop doing something or start doing something for God that God's called you to do or shown you to do in Scripture, it's amazing how much power you have to do that because the Holy Spirit shows up. Salvation comes from God by grace through faith, like we said, and that's all that's required. But God, that's not all he expects. He expects us to act on our new life, to behave differently. He really does. I mean, sometimes we want to qualify this, this word in, in Scripture, good works. We want to say, well, what exactly is that? Well, is it church programs? Is it religious activities? Is it charitable events? I mean, we can, I can go on and on what people think good works is. Many, and many times, I'm guilty of this too, many times we plan something and we call it a good work because we're doing it in the church walls or we're doing it as a church. We call it a good work but it may not have any kingdom value. That's what we have to be careful about. If our activities are not pointing to Jesus, encouraging people spiritually toward Jesus, or producing fruit for Jesus, it may not be as good as we think it is. We may need to evaluate that. I mean, we've done this a lot of times. Churches are guilty of this. We habitually plan something, we organize it, get it ready, and then we ask God to bless it. I think we need to reverse that process. First, we need to talk to God. Find out what he wants us to do, where he wants us to go, what he wants us to minister to. Obviously, there's some things in Scripture that are obvious that we need to be doing. But pray first. And then we can organize and we plan and execute the good work. See, God expects us to care for widows, orphans, the poor, but with the gospel as our motive, not just because it's a good deed, like the Boy Scouts that did my good deed for the day. Maybe it's this, I don't know. God points to this conclusion, to the faith that saves us so we will live better. That's what he's pointing to. That's the conclusion of this passage. Paul tells us through our past, our present, and our future in light of Jesus and his salvation, they are important in our lives now. Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget how you got there. And don't forget what you're supposed to do. That's really what he's getting at in this passage. And people that say they are Christians, but they live like the world are not Christians. I just, don't, I just can't buy it. Who never change. Change must happen. Not change you bring about, but change that God brings about. Why? Because here, here's what Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body whether good or evil. See, we're all going to face a judgment seat. And hopefully you're getting rewarded for doing good. And as a believer in Christ, that's what our call is. So as we close this out and we have a time of prayer, pray that God continues to work in you to live better. Because we always need that. Keep asking God to help you live better. To see the blind spots you have in your life. The things you kind of keep stumbling over maybe. And pray that God will save your soul if it is not. Let's have some time of prayer for that. We'll pray silently for a few minutes and then I'll close us out. Let's pray.